at our lodge event on Friday night, we took a few minutes to pray for our beloved brother Ralph Arnold, who um, has been in ICU and is going through a really difficult time. Well, Pastor Jerry just informed me that he's doing much better uh, since Friday. So praise the Lord, it seems that he's answering prayer. Continue to lift him up, though, in prayer. We do love Ralph, and we, we want to see him back on his feet, that's for sure. Well, last week, as you know, I think I wasn't here. Hopefully you noticed. Um, I had a great time in the mountains. I love being in the mountains, and I certainly am blessed that we have faithful men in this church that can bring the word uh, in my absence, and I'm very grateful for for Ben uh, bringing the word last week. But today we continue through Abraham's journey of faith. We're in Genesis chapter 17 this morning. Turn over there if you haven't already. You know, as we are following Abram on this journey of faith, we're encountering many things that may seem strange to us. (laughs) Today is is no exception. There are these relics of an ancient world and bizarre practices and strange people with strange names, and yet there's so much that is deeply relatable to us. I think some of these accounts, it feels like it could could have happened last week to me or, or to you. And so just take the arc of the last few chapters as an example. So Abram had been demonstrating his faith towards God in a variety of different ways, acting courageously, valiantly, um, faithfully. And he believes God beyond what seems possible, trusting in God's promises. And because of his faith, God counts Abram as righteous. This amazing declaration God counts Abram as righteous. It's a glorious expression of covenant and blessing and worship. And then, as you saw in chapter 16, Abram's trust in God falters, and it's like he forgets everything all of the sudden. He he takes things into his own hands. He trusts himself to accomplish God's promises instead of God doing it. And the consequences of that decision are, are felt even to this day, as we see hostilities between Israel, the descendants of Isaac, And the Arabs, the descendants of Ishmael. I think that we can relate to that. One minute we're trusting in God. We're obedient. We're worshipful. We feel it. And then the next moment we forget everything about God and his promises. And there we are, foolishly squandering our time. Taking things into our own hands. Wanting our timing rather than God's timing and And then there we are, left wrapped in the consequences of our sins. Yeah, I I think I feel like it. You probably feel like it a lot. I feel like a yo-yo. Much like Abram's faith yo-yos between the heights of chapter 15 and the lows of 16, and now back to a high in chapter 17. Well, today we're going to again see this covenant God is making with Abram reaffirmed, But this time it's going to be a little bit different because God is going to give Abram a sign of that covenant, circumcision. Oh, that's definitely a strange practice. So today as we look at chapter 17 and we see this covenant and its sign, we're going to see the covenant in three distinct parts. And I hope to answer the question, what is circumcision all about? Of all the things, 
Why that? And then, how does circumcision relate to Christ? Let's read chapter 17 together. Follow along with me. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Make you into nations, and kings shall come to you, and I will come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, You shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from a foreigner who is not of your offspring, Both he who is born in your house and he who is is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, she you shall call her name, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, shall, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house and bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael His son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Father, we need your spirit of wisdom to flow into us now that we might understand these words, and not just practicalities, the mechanics of it, but the deep spiritual 
truths, the everlasting things that are here for us to have life. Oh God, speak to us and use this this frail mouth uh, to bring life. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is the Abrahamic covenant. It's another portion of it. The Abrahamic covenant pertains to the land and to the offspring that Abram would have innumerable descendants, as many as the stars in the sky, and then those descendants will inherit the land. In Genesis 12, God promised that covenant with Abram. Then in chapter 15, the pivot point of Abram's journey, God ratifies the covenant. And now in chapter 17, the same covenant, God gives the sign of the covenant. And there is a good reason God gives the sign at this particular time. And it didn't come any earlier, and it didn't come any later. At the end of chapter 16, we saw last week that Ishmael was born. We were told then that Abram was 86 years old. Now, the passage starts by telling us he is 99 So between sentences, there is a 13-year gap. 13 years have elapsed, and now, as verse 25 tells us, and as we could easily deduce, Ishmael is 13 years old. What happens when a Jewish boy turns 13? The bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah celebration, a coming of age where all the rights and the obligations of a Jewish adult are given to that boy. That boy is becoming a man. In the eyes of the family and the community, he is a man now. He takes up the mantle of his parents. Now, there's no such thing as bar mitzvahs, I believe, in the time of Abraham. But there's a principle that still existed. Ishmael was of age. That boy was entering manhood. Things were about to change for him. And this singular fact is the catalyst for chapter 17. For in Ishmael's 13th year, Abraham's 99th, God appears to Abraham, to Abram. Look again at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. God Almighty appears to Abram. El Shaddai, that's the Hebrew name. A name signifying the majesty and the power and the dominion of God. Almighty ruler of all things. His power has no limits. He is the only divine. There is no equal. El Shaddai appears to Abram and speaks a command. And he commands, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make covenant between me and you. This phrase, walk before me, this connotes a complete orientation. Abram is to orient his entire life Towards God. All all of him is to be oriented towards God's presence, God's promises, and God's command. Every step taken with reverence to, to the Almighty as the orienting compass. God, God is the orientation now 
of Abram's life if he is to walk before him. And this is much like we read about him in Proverbs. I know somebody in, the, in this church who's, these are their favorite verses. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. As Abram walks before the Lord, he is to acknowledge God in all of his ways. He is to be blameless. That's an impossible task. Walk before God, acknowledging him in all of your ways, and be blameless. But you know, back in chapter 15, God already counts Abraham, Abram as blameless, as righteous. Genesis 15, 16, we saw Abram believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. So by trusting in God, Abram was counted righteous. By continuing to orient his life by faith, El Shaddai will continue to count Abram as blameless. Even, even despite the folly of the last chapter and, and the other folly we saw earlier in Abram's journey. And that is a grace that all of us can benefit from, that all of us should, should recognize and worship God for, to know that despite the fact that we make a, a mess of things with our folly, he does not require of us perfect behavior. No, he just asks that we trust him like a little child trusts their beloved father. It's, it's simple. It's open. It's honest. It's vulnerable. It's humble. Trust God like that. And he won't require perfect behavior from you. Instead, he will count you blameless, righteous. There's so much I could say about that. It could be a sermon unto itself. But it is no wonder that Abram falls on his face and worships at those words. And then, as God goes on to affirm his covenant with Abram, you'll see that it begins to get broken up into three very distinct parts. The first part pertains to God and what he will bring, and then to Abram and what he must do, and then to Sarai and what pertains to her. But first, let us look at what pertains to God, what he says of himself. Again, in verse, halfway through verse 3, God said to him, to Abram, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Notice in verse 4, God says, my covenant is with you. My covenant is with you. He is a good God. Because in spite of Abram's failings, in spite of his faltering faith, God has decided 
And so it is. His covenant is with Abram, and the sins of men will not prevent God from accomplishing his purposes in Abram. And nor will the barrenness of a family prevent God from accomplishing his purposes. For even despite Sarai's inability to conceive, God promises Abram a multitude of nations that will descend from him, and it's a blessing beyond blessing. Perhaps in that moment, Abram thinks of his son, Ishmael, from which this promise will be fulfilled. Ishmael. And with that promise of descendants of land, God symbolically recreates Abram and gives him a new name. Abram becomes Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude, or father of nations. And from this point forward, the text only refers to him as Abraham. It's like a light switch. He is a new man now. He is a new creation. It's important to realize that when God promises Abraham these many nations, it, connotes, it carries both physical and spiritual connotations. So there is, of course, going to be a multitude of nations that descend from Abraham's lineage, his genetic descendants, and already we see that evidenced in Ishmael, as I've said, Ishmael um, producing the, the Arab nation and Isaac the Israelites. But the text is leaving room for a spiritual progeny, spiritual descendants, All over scripture, you see this, father being used as a term both of physical and spiritual children. And I think the clearest articulation of this comes from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4. He writes, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So God calls into existence the things that do not exist. Those that were not the children of Abram of Abraham, become the children of Abraham by faith, and God causes that to exist. He births that new creation. This is why Paul later says to the Galatians, anyone who shares in the faith of Abraham is a descendant of Abraham. So Abraham is a father biologically, and Abraham is a father spiritually. Now there's a contrast to that, In verse 6, where we read, kings shall come from you. Though there is a spiritual element to that, this really does have in mind a genetic lineage. Because the translation could more literally, literally be rendered, you shall beget kings. So this has in mind the kings that would descend from Abram's biological lineage. And in fact, one king in particular. This promise, as it pertains to the offspring and as it pertains to the land, God says this is his everlasting covenant. 
This is his everlasting covenant. Anyone who shares in the faith of Abraham will be his blessed offspring and will receive the blessed land. And this is true for all eternity. From the moment of Abraham till today into a billion ages into our future. David, one of the kings that descended from Abraham, said this in Psalm 37. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The biological descendants of Abraham were given the land of Canaan, all the land of Canaan, as it says. The spiritual descendants of Abraham, the meek, well, these are given the earth, all the earth. And verse 8 ends with, and I will be their God. Look at that, verse 8, last words of it, I will be their God. Everlasting covenant, same promise that stood then, stands for us today, stands for us in our future, and we see it right in Revelation 21. John sees the new heavens and the new earth, and he hears this declared. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That was an everlasting covenant. So it started then, and it remains today, and it's true in the future, which means that is true now. And does not God dwell with you, residing in your heart? The spirit of the living God. Oh, he does. This is indeed an everlasting covenant. God will do what he has promised. God is doing what he has promised. And then in verse 9, we see a second part of this covenant. What God requires of Abraham. Verse 9, God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And I'll just stop there. It goes on in somewhat repetitive form to talk about that circumcision. Abraham and his innumerable descendants are to keep this covenant for all time. They are to keep covenant. Back in verses 1 and 2, we see this direct correlation between keeping covenant and walking blamelessly before God. These are meant to be understood in parallel. Walk blamelessly before God is keeping covenant. And as we've already discussed, Abraham is to, Abraham is to acknowledge God in all of his ways, not relying on his own understanding, but trusting in God with all of his heart. That's the covenant, trusting God with all of your heart. Circumcision is merely the sign of that covenant. It's the mark. So let's ask that question, why circumcision? Of all the possible ways to mark a body, why that? The answer, I think, is incredible. Strange as the sign may be, there is 
a deep profundity here. First, most obviously, the covenant regards offspring. Not coincidentally, Abram, Abraham is to mark the organ of reproduction. And though I'm not going to elaborate too much on this right now, Abraham's seed is to make the land fertile. Right? He, he's going to take up what, Abra, what, what Adam lost. Genesis 1.28, God said, God said, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. This command is now being taken up by Abraham and his seed or, or his offspring. And so it is fitting that God places the sign of his everlasting covenant upon man's symbolic source of seed. The second reason for circumcision, which is so amazing, is that this is an unmistakable mark. It's obvious for anyone to see, and in fact, in the ancient world, when they wanted to find out who the Jews were, they just pulled down the pants and they knew. Usually in times of distress. And yet, God puts this mark in a hidden place, in a concealed place, somewhere private. So circumcision, the sign of covenant, is paradoxically obvious and secret. Hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to that later. Before we do, let's notice something. God does not command Abraham alone to be circumcised, as you see, but every male in his household household, all the warriors that went with him to help him defeat Keter Laomer, and all his male servants, and all their male children, and even his own male child too, 13-year-old Ishmael, is to be circumcised. So those taking the sign of the covenant are both biological and not biological. Another foreshadowing that Abraham would father a multitude of people both biologically and spiritually. God has spoken his part of the covenant. He has given Abraham his part, which we have just read. Now let's look at the third part. What is being given to Sarai? Starting in verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. This is the first time that God explicitly brings Sarai into the covenant. And he brings her in. In that same symbolic, recreative way of renaming her, Sarai, to Sarah. Both means 
both names essentially mean the same thing, princess, but Sarah, that's the covenant name. And this is the first time that God declares the promised offspring will come from Sarah. That's never been said before. God wants the promise to come through the lawful wife. In human terms, before this declaration, in human terms, it made some sense for Abraham to have a child with Hagar, Sarah, Sarah's servant, because Sarah was too old and she was barren. Hagar was not. So if God's word was going to be fulfilled, clearly it wasn't going to be happening through Sarah. Here's Hagar. Let's make it happen. But it wasn't going to happen through Hagar. It was going to happen through Sarah. And God makes it crystal clear now. He makes it obvious. Sarah will be the mother of all Israel. She will birth nations. She will bear a royal line. Sarah, the lawful wife. And so imagine the thrill of that for Sarah. After all that waiting and all that doubt and all the compromises, God really did choose her. She was the blessed mother. And again, Abraham Abraham falls on his face and he worships. Yet his worship is filled with doubt. Has your worship ever been filled with doubt? I think you can understand his doubt. He's 100. She's 90. Yeah, right. Look at what Abraham says next. He says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. That's the same covenant language from verse 1. Live before you. Or when God said to Abraham, Walk before me. Let let Ishmael be the one who walks before you. Let, Let him be the blameless one. Let him receive the blessing. Abraham is begging that Ishmael would be the covenant bearer. He loves his son. Earlier I said that the whole scene is catalyzed by Ishmael's coming of age. And as the firstborn son entering into manhood, Abraham would be passing the blessing on to Ishmael. He is the rightful heir. So Abraham, he was making, he was about to make Ishmael the covenant bearer. Because until God declared that Sarah would bear the promised son, Abraham had no reason to think that it would be someone other than Ishmael. It is his son, his firstborn son. There was no reason to expect another. And Sarah was 90 and he was 100. But El Shaddai appears in part to tell Abraham, no, no. No, Sarah will bear the chosen son, and his name shall be Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Abraham has laughed in doubt. In the next chapter, in chapter 18, Sarah will also laugh in doubt. But in a year's time, God says, in a year's time, they will both laugh when they look in joy upon the promised son, born of Sarah. God's promises will not be accomplished by the efforts of man. 
he will move in supernatural grace at the time that he has ordained. He will do it. God has chosen Isaac. He has not chosen Ishmael. And yet God is merciful. Though Isaac is the covenant bearer, and Ishmael is not the promised son, still God will bless Ishmael. And God says to Abraham in response to his plea, I have heard you. Do you remember what Ishmael's name means? God has heard. God hears. God has heard Abraham. And so he still blesses Ishmael. As verse 20 says, Ishmael will have many sons, 12 sons. Isaac won't have that many sons. And from Ishmael will come a great nation. And it's a nation that we, in a way, know today. The Arab nation. I know there's controversy about who are the Arabs that come from Ishmael. I'm not going to bother with that today. Look at verse 22 now. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house and brought, or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. That very day. Abraham is faithful. He's obedient. He doesn't waste any time. And immediately, he takes everyone in his household and he circumcises them. See that in verse 23. It's Abraham who's doing the circumcising. I I can't help but put myself in the shoes of those men. So Abraham, he's, he's been off somewhere, and apparently he's had this otherworldly experience. And then he comes back and he says... All right, men, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to cut off your foreskins. I don't, I wouldn't respond well. You would think he is crazy. And you saw what he did to those animals back in chapter 15. But I think that it shows how much they respected Abraham how much they believe that Abraham's God is real, is true, is indeed El Shaddai. And so despite the pain that would make any man shudder and the extreme vulnerability of it, they willingly allow Abraham to give them the covenant mark. So let us talk further about this covenant mark, this mark that is both obvious and secret. So circumcision is the sign. It is the symbol of a spiritual truth, a spiritual truth simultaneously that is also obvious and secret. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 16, we learn what circumcision is really about. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding Today, for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love upon your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskins of your heart and be no longer stubborn. I love the echoes of the Abrahamic covenant right here in Deuteronomy as part of the Mosaic Covenant. 
Listen to the meaning behind those words. Walk in the ways of the Lord. Love him. Trust him with all your heart. Because he loves you and he has chosen you and he has been gracious towards you and he blesses you. So cut off the stubbornness from your heart. Circumcise your heart. As it was from the beginning, circumcision was the sign, but the covenant was always a matter of the heart. It was always about trusting God with all your heart. It's very similar to saying, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Because it's your heart, it's it's located right where nobody can see it. That is the most private, intimate part of you. And how can you get down to it? But as you know, if you've read through the Bible or sat in church for a time, you know that Israel was never really able to do this. Not enough. Not in a general sense. They could neither change the stubbornness of their heart nor the state of their heart. Their default was selfishness, self-righteousness. And that's our default too, of course. Neither can we change the state of our natural hearts. And like, like the lesson with Isaac and Ishmael, we cannot do what only God can do. For who can circumcise the flesh of a stony heart? Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will remove your heart of stone and I w- from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and, your pe- and you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. Do you hear the Abrahamic covenant in this promise of a new covenant? It is all there. God will give us new hearts, circumcised by the sword of the Spirit with the law of God written upon them, meaning that it will be the delight of our hearts to do the will of God. It will delight us to trust him because we know we can't do it. Yeah, we will fail, but God will deliver us from all of our uncleanness. And how does God circumcise our hearts and deliver us from all uncleanness? By the power of the King, Christ our Lord. Remember how Abraham was the covenant bearer and he circumcised all of those in his household? Well, now in the new covenant, the great covenant bearer, the King, circumcises his household. Turn over to Colossians chapter 2 in your Bibles. Colossians 2, I'm going to. I'm going to read verses 9 through 15. Colossians 2, verses 9 through 15. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. In him you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, or, or heart even, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. Christ our victor, Christ our Lord, Christ our Savior, he has circumcised our hearts. When we come to him in faith, he is the ultimate promised son. He is the descendant of Abraham, the great king of kings. And his circumcision is not only for males, but for all flesh. He will and he does cut away the stubbornness of your old life and he births in the barrenness of your dead heart a new life. Awake, he calls to you with a new name. Alive by the power of the living God, you are raised to life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's words here articulate the most ultimate circumcision. Not a piece removed, but a self-crucified. Not a mark of the body, but a whole body devoted to Christ. So let us all, who have been crucified with Christ, live by faith. Walk before God blamelessly by faith. The same as it was for Abraham when God said to him, walk before me by faith and be blameless. Walk before God by faith, and he will make you blameless through the cross of Christ. Now those who live in this way, who have had their hearts marked in this way, are altogether different than the rest of humanity. They stand apart. They are set apart. For though they are reviled, they bless Though they are sorrowful, they rejoice. Though they are poor, they know they are rich. Though they have nothing, they possess all things. Though they are dying, behold, they live. A person with such a heart is obvious to all. They are like a light in the world, a city set on a hill. They are like rivers of living water flowing through a barren land. Brothers and sisters, we must go, therefore, walking before God and being blameless. You bear a mark that cannot be seen, so proclaim it. Tell people everywhere, all people everywhere, that El Shaddai has made a place for us, that he is an open door for us. He has made a way to himself by giving us a promised son. Tell people that Jesus is their king. Now look, I know that there are some of you sitting here in this room right now that think this is hard to believe. Sounds like a lot of nonsense. Perhaps you heard all this and you've chuckled to yourself. 
Yeah, right. Well, that's okay, because so did Abraham. You know, but God's grace is greater than your doubts. I beseech you, if you feel unclean or guilty or like you have a dead and barren heart, come to God's word and listen to his promises. This Bible is filled with promises and in it is life. Let the promises of God turn your doubt into joy. Amazing how he takes doubt and he turns it into laughter of joy. Yes, it is the promises of God that sustain us through the long night and the many years of waiting through the uncertainty of an uncertain world. It is God's promises. And so like Abraham, we have to wait. But also like Abraham, those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame. Paul wrote this. I conclude with these verses. The saying is trustworthy. For if, we, if I have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Father, we praise you. El Shaddai, God Almighty, eternally faithful, establishing an everlasting covenant and giving to us your one and only Son that we might be forgiven, made blameless, have entrance into your kingdom, be counted among the descendants of Abraham, recipients of all these covenant blessings. We praise you for this great grace and you give it to us in spite of our many failings, our doubt. Oh God, we worship you. We honor you. And even if we're not literally on our faces right now, may we live our lives prostrate before you. We love you, Father. Help us to love you. In Christ's name, amen.